Hello and welcome to the Doc Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mike DeLuke, and it's my mission to help you lead a happier, healthier, and more prosperous life, both personally and professionally. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Doc Podcast. I am so excited to announce today's guests, Trish and John Hopper. Trish is with us now and her husband, John, is going to stop in in a moment to give his feedback on some of the treatment pertaining to their daughter, Lauren. Trish and John brought their daughter, Lauren, to see me back in 2019. It was actually a couple months prior to her seventh birthday. The main reason that Trish brought her in was one of her front teeth was quite protrusive and they wanted to see if something could be done about that. But what happened at that visit is something that I see very often in practice and something that, as you all probably know by now, I'm very determined to help educate both orthodontists and the public about. After performing my diagnostics, including taking a low-dose CBCT or cone beam x-ray, I realized that Lauren had more going on than just the crowded and protrusive teeth. I actually detected that she had sleep-disordered breathing and wasn't breathing properly through her nose, causing her to mouth-breathe and snore. Since she was such of such a young skeletal age, I was actually able to use really light orthodontic forces with just braces and wires, not traditional expanders, to expand Lauren's arches and make more room for the teeth to erupt into the mouth. This also widened her palate and made more room for the tongue, which helped open her airway so she could breathe through her nose instead of having to open her mouth to breathe. It also created a very beautiful smile at a young age, which is a nice thing and something else we will talk about. So this entire process, we're going to kind of go through the journey and talk about Lauren's journey with orthodontic treatment and phase one orthodontic treatment. And we'll get into some really exciting things. And, and as I said, I am super thrilled to be able to share with you the parents of a patient who actually have experienced this technique that I talk about often in my podcasts and courses. So without further ado, I would like to introduce Trish Hopper. Welcome, Trish. Hi, Mike. It's good to see you. Good to see you as well. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, it's, I really appreciate it. And it's funny because you and I knew each other from, from a long time ago. Um, we yeah. went to school together starting back in kindergarten uh, and hadn't seen each other for probably, what, 25 years when, when you brought probably about that. Yep. Lauren yep. in. And I remember we kind of had a good laugh thinking about the fact that we were younger than her when we actually knew each other and would ride the bus mm -hmm. together going way back to kindergarten years uh, when you brought her in at six years, 10 months where she was. So yep. it's a small world and uh, it, it it's, it's funny, the the full circle that, that sometimes we travel. So yeah. Before we kind of get into the details of what happened with treatment and what you saw happen with Lauren, if you wouldn't mind, just kind of take a minute to review how you ended up presenting to the office for that first evaluation, what that process was like, and what you remember about that first appointment. Sure. So um, I, I had Lauren at um, her annual cleaning um, with her pediatric uh, dentist. And I just had casually mentioned to her that um, I was a little concerned about Lauren's teeth being so crooked. Mm -hmm. um, one of her uh, top front teeth was actually protruding a little bit. And we were a little concerned that um, it, if she was at school and she got hit with a ball or if she fell, that she would actually lose um, the tooth. So we mentioned that to um, her dentist 
And we said, you know, what can we do about this? And um, Dr. Nikki had said to us, she said, um, you know, it's she definitely has crooked teeth um, that you can definitely see some of them are misaligned. Mm -hmm. uh, she goes, she's definitely going to need orthodontic work. She mm -hmm. goes, um, you might want to get her um, established as a patient somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, she's like, they're not going to put braces on her right now. Yeah. Um, but she said, it's, you know, not a bad idea to get established as a patient. They can monitor her every, you know, three to six months. Mm -hmm. And eventually when she is ready for braces, um, you know, they'll, they'll let you know that, you know, she's ready. Uh, so I knew right away where I was going to go. Uh, the, the Duluth name in our area is really, it's synonymous with excellent dentistry. And I knew you were going, you were an orthodontist. So it was, it was a very easy decision as to Thank you. where to bring her. Um, and we made an appointment with you and your office and I brought her in. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate that. that was, that's very kind to say. Um, I have been fortunate to have many family members precede me who uh, who have done a lot in the profession, and I was fortunate enough to be able to uh, to join in that. So thank you. And I'm glad you did bring her in. Uh, and um, it's interesting when you say what the pediatric dentist said, because that's super common. Uh, again, a big part of the reason, which I'll probably repeat a, a bunch of times, but a big part of the reason that I'm so passionate about this is, is it's really uh, it's not necessarily wrong what the pediatric dentist said. It's just, there's this kind of a lack of understanding across the dental profession, not just orthodontists, but in the general practitioners and pediatric dentists that also don't even know what's possible at a younger age, especially as it pertains to airway um, and helping prevent more work and more challenges down, down the road. So seeing as how, when you brought her in, it had nothing to do directly with with airway. Were you a little surprised when I started to show you this 3D image and talk about and starting asking you quite very specific questions about her sleep, her breathing, her, her airway? Yeah, it just completely threw me off, to be honest with you. I <laughs> we were in there, you know, first of all, I'm in there to, you know, just, just establish myself as a patient. I'm thinking, you know, braces, not for another two, three years. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you're throwing in with the airways and the breathing. And I'm like, this, this is okay. This is interesting. I, I don't, you know, it was definitely caught me off guard. Uh -huh. Um, but it was completely relevant to what we were going through with Lauren mm -hmm. at the time. Um, she, Lauren mouth was doing some mouth breathing, mm -hmm. um, for, uh, quite a while. And, I never thought of anything about it. She just, her mouth was open while she slept. It mm -hmm. wasn't a big deal. Um, and then at one point I noticed um, she started snoring mm -hmm. and I thought, hmm, I'm like, you know, a six-year-old shouldn't be snoring. I don't Correct. think. Mm -hmm. no, um, and I said, well, maybe it was just, she had a stuffy nose. So, you know, we, I gave it a couple of weeks. It, it just, it didn't stop. Mm -hmm. Um, and it seemed to, you know, start progressing into, you know, more and more snoring and, um, you know, I was really concerned about it. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it was very, uh, the timing of us bringing her in just to get established as a patient and, you know, 
at the same time going through these issues, it was just a pure coincidence mm -hmm. and, and just, you know, it definitely took me by surprise that you had asked about her breathing too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I remember. Um, and, and it's a super common reaction. It's actually the most common reaction um, mm. that I would get with patients and parents in that consultation. Uh, but it was always a very similar reaction is when I would see the things that I saw diagnostically, which led me to ask those questions, because plenty of six-year-olds, seven-year-olds come in that don't have breathing issues, and it's not a problem. Mm -hmm. uh, but when I saw the things I saw in her diagnostic evaluation, and which leads me to ask the, the questions that I began asking, it's the, almost the same look the parents give every time. And it's this look of number one, I'm at the orthodontist, right? Like you, and number two, like, mm -hmm. what, wait a minute. How did you know some of that? Like, how, how could yeah. you tell that by looking at teeth? And mm -hmm. I actually remember you saying something like I brought her here because I was worried about one front <laughs> tooth and a little bit of crowding. And now we're having this whole conversation about her breathing yeah. and snoring and sleeping. And uh, it was it was cool, and I love those interactions, and, and and I think it's it's why it's so important that people in my profession take the time to look at the patient more than just the yes. teeth. Look at them, understand what's going on in their growth and development, uh, and you can you can tell a lot in that. Uh, so if you wouldn't mind, take a moment to just go into a little bit. Uh, she had seen an ENT prior to coming to me as well, correct? Right. So, um, you know, we decided, um, my husband and I decided that, you know, this, this isn't normal. It doesn't seem to be resolving on its own. Um, it didn't seem to be related to any kind of colds or anything. So mm -hmm. we brought Lauren to basically we brought Lauren to her pediatrician mm -hmm. first. Um, and the pediatrician recommended a pediatric ENT in our mm -hmm. area. Mm -hmm. Very good pediatric ENT. Uh, so we took her there um, and he uh, ended up putting her on singular mm -hmm. um, medication. Um, he didn't feel that at the moment that she needed like any kind of like adenoids taken out or tonsils taken out. Mm -hmm. He just said, let's start with, you know, putting her on this medication and, and see what happens. Um, so we did, we put her on the medication and we noticed that it did help, um, but it wasn't, it, it didn't eliminate any problems. It didn't eliminate the mouth breathing. It didn't eliminate the snoring. You know, like I said, it did, um, it did help, mm -hmm. but it was still there. Okay. Uh, and I also hear that often, and that's what's interesting in, in how, multifactorial these airway problems are. And I'm always clear with people that it's not that the orthodontist is diagnosing her with sleep apnea that requires a no. specific test in a sleep lab. And, mm -hmm. and it's, it's that the orthodontist can see the symptoms of an underlying airway problem. Uh, had Lauren not seen the ENT and she saw, I believe she saw Dr. Muzakis, right? In this, yes. this yeah, and he's awesome. I actually, yeah. I've got to reach out to Jason. I want to get him on, on a podcast coming up here. He is um, amazing. Absolutely amazing. He is, is am just amazing. I was fortunate enough to work with him on the cleft mm -hmm. facial team. Um, and he and I really, I mean, I learned so much from him. I would pick his brain on this stuff. And this would have been a patient I certainly would have sent to Dr. Muzakis had she not seen him yeah. prior. And these were some of the fun cases where he was kind of becoming amazed with what was happening because 
these were, according to him, these were some of the tougher cases where there really wasn't a lot of like lymphoid tissue, adenoids, tonsils, blocking stuff. You know, those are kind of easy. Yeah. Like, oh, great. Mm -hmm. Okay. There's a blockage there. Well, let's go in surgically and get rid of it. But when there wasn't that, and it wasn't like she had these super narrow airways with terrible allergies because uh, you know, her scans, which I can show as uh, our, our viewers who are looking at the content on one of the um, video platforms versus just audio, I'll put those up for them. Her scans didn't show obstruction really of the nose passageways where it's like, okay, she can't get air in through her nose, but it showed a really narrow high vaulted palate, right? And kind of a V-shaped arch and kind of not a lot of mm -hmm. room for her tongue and and so these cases are great examples where you say, okay, well, there's really nothing obstructing air going in through the nose and down into the lungs, but her tongue doesn't have a lot of room. And because everything's kind of squished in and the teeth being crowded are really just the symptom, the cause is that the arches are narrow and the tongue gets pushed back and it kind of blocks the air from getting through. What do they have to mm -hmm. do to breathe? got to open their mouth and they've got to mm -hmm. open their mouth to pull that tongue away from the throat so that the air can get in. Well, then the path of least resistance is the mouth. So they just breathe through the mouth. And then as the tongue starts to fall back when they're sleeping and uh, essentially lying supine so that the tongue can fall back and occlude the airway, you get that, you know, the snore and it goes from yeah. there. So when I see these patients who had already seen someone amazing, like Dr. Muzakis, singular is a great call because it's it's a minimally invasive way to see maybe we're missing something clinic subclinically here. I hear I used to hear that all the time. Yeah, maybe a little improvement, but something's still not right. Right. Then we come in and we talk about orthodontia. Now, she, was she having some other, what did you notice in her as well, school-wise, behavior-wise? Was she tired? Talk a little bit about that for some of the parents who maybe have a child who is experiencing some of this. What were some of the things that looking back, you could say like, well, yeah, she actually had some other things going on. Yeah, she, I mean, she wasn't getting good sleep at night. I mean, she just, she couldn't, she was, I mean, it was, her snoring was loud enough that we were able to take a video of it, which is what we brought with us to her pediatrician. We brought the video with us to the ENT. So, I mean, it was significant enough. You knew she was not getting enough sleep at night mm -hmm. and she was, she was for a six-year-old who was supposed to have a lot of energy. Mm -hmm. She was tired. I mean, yeah. she was tired during the day. She, and, you know, it, it seemed to, um, the, the exhaustion seemed to really tie in with the progression of, yeah, I'm just mouth breathing right now, but now we're starting to get into some snoring, you know, and, and we did wait before we brought her into the pediatrician just to see if it was a cold, maybe it was allergies, maybe it will resolve on its own. Mm -hmm. um, and as it, you know, as that progressed, we did notice her, she was tired. Yeah. I mean, she wasn't sleeping at night and she was, she was tired. Yeah. Yep. And, and that affects everything with any of us. I mean, it, it, I would say to parents all the time, I mean, think if we just, you know, get a few nights of really interrupted sleep, right. When, when our kids are little ones or, uh, stressed with work or just other family or work obligations and, you know, you, you feel it right. And, and we should be able to kind of overcome that. And as adults, we can't, you think of these kiddos every single night like that. They're just yeah. in this and, and with us, maybe we can catch up on a weekend or, you know, after a few, a few days, they can't, they're literally unable to no. get deep restful sleep night after night. And that's what I hear often too, what you just described. It's this kind of cumulative process. I think people sometimes think it's like, well, one day your, your child just has this problem. 
yeah. it's really not. No, yeah, it's it's more this this progression, and it's this progression. Mm-hmm. And as parents, because you know, I would have oftentimes parents would come in. Sometimes they'd come in much later. You know, say it was nine years old, and the parents like, oh my gosh, like just like you said. I knew it. I knew something was wrong. You Mm -hmm. caught, you guys caught it really early. You were fortunate. You were very proactive with the pediatrician. Um, The pediatrician did a great job because I've had a lot of cases where the pediatrician might say, oh, they're fine. They'll outgrow it type of thing. So you have a pediatrician did a great job getting them to a phenomenal ENT and you had really good, good intervention there. Sometimes parents will mention the pediatrician in passing. The pediatrician's like, oh, they're growing normally, you know, they're doing okay. And then these, this kid starts to suffer more and more and more and school's really impacted. And then the parent finally, when I have the conversation I had with you and and we uncovered some of this stuff is like, I, I knew it. Why didn't mm-hmm. anybody talk about this? So um, it really is a problem, not just in the dental profession, but in the medical profession. And uh, it should proceed like what proceeded with, with you and, and Lauren. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that really was the ideal, but in a lot of cases, unfortunately it, it's, it's not um, mm-hmm. the part that I now was able to do when I talked about it, realized this is what was happening. I remember because you had heard of expanders. Most people have. And I remember talking about, well, we're going to expand her, but not with expanders. I'm actually (laughs) going to put this six-year-old in full braces. (laughs) And I remember, yeah, about that look that you you were like, what? Um, And and actually said like, wait, what? Like I... Wait a minute. Uh, so would you tell me a little bit about what was, you can be as blunt as you want and what was going through your head and, and kind of um, uh, what, what did you think when, when I said uh, we were going to help her mouth grow with, with full braces at that age? Yeah. So, well, I had, there were, you know, some mixed feelings. Um, you know, like I said, we had made the appointment with you just under the understanding that we were just establishing Lauren as a patient with you thinking that we were just going to, um, you know, keep an eye on her. You'd let us know in a few years when she needed to have braces on. Um, So I was definitely taken back when you said, um, we're going to um, expand her palate and straighten her teeth and we're going to do all of it with um, braces. (laughs) Yeah, I was definitely taken back by that. Um, You know, there was a lot of thoughts that went through my mind, one of them being, thank God, we were not putting her in um, traditional palate expanders. Mm -hmm. Um, I personally have never had them, but I have talked to a number of parents. Um, I knew kids when we were younger that had them, you know, put in Mm -hmm. and it just seemed just horrible to me. I had actually, you know, even told Lauren, you know, that she may need to get these expanders put in the roof of her mouth and there's a bunch of metal and we have to turn keys and, Mm -hmm. you know, the pressure for the, you know, a couple of days and how painful it was going to be. And, you know, all of this is running through my head. So on, on one hand, I was relieved that you said we were not going to do traditional expanders Mm -hmm. um and i think when lauren got home too she was like mom i don't have to have that thing pushing in my (laughs) mouth i said no you don't have to do that i said that's you know it's absolutely amazing so on one hand i was just grateful just Mm -hmm. absolutely grateful um that we did not have to put our six-year-old through that Uh, you know and on the other hand i'm obviously very nervous Mm -hmm. about putting 
a six-year-old embraces, to be honest with you. Um, I do remember calling your office, I believe, two days before we were scheduled to have Lauren's braces put on mm -hmm. and saying to them, have you done this before? Have you? <laughs> Are we the first time? Six, is this, is this first time? Have you put a six-year-old in braces before? Because I'm I think this might not be right. Mm -hmm. And they assured me that actually it was just, it was um, that day I had called. She goes, we actually just did braces on a six-year-old this week. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, <laughs> all right. Well, you know, Lauren won't, she won't be the first one to have um, the braces on. And just thinking back to, you know, she's six. I yeah. mean, you know, she, she, can she take care of these braces? Mm -hmm. Can she, is, is this, you know, too, um, you know, going to be too painful for her, mm -hmm. you know, having, you know, to have the braces adjusted. I remember having to have braces adjusted, you know, and there's, you know, two, three days of taking Advil and Tylenol. And, you know, is she going to sit in the dentist chair mm -hmm. long enough for you to put and, and still enough for you to put braces on her? Is she going to want to go back after she gets braces <laughs> on and after she gets the wires tightened up mm -hmm. is she going to want to even go back are there going to be tears i mean she doesn't she's sick she didn't understand mm -hmm. and i obviously as her parent have to make these decisions for her mm -hmm. um so yeah i was um i was grateful and i was a little scared too so yeah and we actually i, I do remember at one point when i had called um two days before the appointment to say hey have you guys done this before i I was considering waiting until she was older, to be honest with you. But we, you know, we put our faith and trust into you, which I knew I could. And here we are. Well, thank you. I appreciate that you did. And again, that story is, it, it just echoes what I've heard, what so many parents over the years have told me. So you're not alone in any of those thoughts uh, or that call you made to the office. We got that call. And sometimes people called three, four times to ask. Um, <laughs> and uh, ultimately people, there's so many rewarding stories where they went through with it as you did. And we, which we'll talk about in a moment, some of the amazing changes, the ex what the experience was like, and some of the amazing changes that we were able to, to achieve with Lauren. Uh, it's, also interesting because when I, in the courses I designed for this, and when I teach this to, to colleagues, I, I really emphasize the fact that it's more than just like throwing braces on a six, seven-year-old kid. It is a process and you need to take the parent and the patient, parent or parents and the patient on a journey. So they understand this because if you just walk, have a family walk in, I, I, don't want to speak for you, but I'm guessing had you come in and I had just been like, yeah, you know what? We're just going to put her in full braces and had it, you know, we the, the folder we give with educational materials, the, the way my treatment coordinator was trained, the way my front end team to be able to educate and have an experience where you understand, okay, there's something to this. I think it would a lot of patients and parents just wouldn't do it because they would just think like, this is, this is great. What's the point? You know, what, what are they really doing? But by educating, teaching them what the problems are airway aside, but in, in Lauren's case, that was at play as well. It helps mm -hmm. you have the confidence to say, okay, this isn't just some random thing. This is something they do and it's working and it, and it actually works. Was that, is that a fair, fair assessment? 
Yeah, no, that's definitely a fair assessment. You know, and I had, like I said, I had talked to my husband about this as well, who, you know, he understands airway management much better than I do. And he basically was like, you know, you need to do this. Like it just, it makes sense. And we're not just doing this, you know, we are doing this to give her a beautiful smile. Yes. Um, you know, we are doing this to help that one tooth that's protruding, not get knocked out. Yes. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's a bigger underlying issue here. And, you know, the way you explained it to us, the pictures that you showed to us, the mm -hmm. folder that I was able to bring home to him, mm -hmm. you know, to show it just, you know, it was, it was hard to, you know, make that decision. It see, it was the right decision. Mm -hmm it made sense to us, you know, and our only concern was, is can she handle this? Mm -hmm. You know, how, how is, she, how is Lauren going to handle this? But yeah, I think if you had just randomly said, oh yeah, we're going to put braces on her right now. I would have been like, you know, are you just looking for another patient here? Right. Right. Sure. You know, but yeah. the, but the fact that, you know, you could see even before I told you she had breathing issues, you could see those breathing issues. It just, the whole thing, it made sense and it made us much more comfortable with the decision to go ahead and do it while she was six. That's well said. Yeah. That, that, that's, that is often the case and something I, why I believe so much in teaching the process and I'll now get into talking about Lauren's experience teaching how to put braces on a six-year-old because as orthodontists, I think a lot of us conceptually, just the way our educational system works. And you and I have had this conversation when you've asked questions about why aren't others doing this at the end when you saw what happened. And I said, you know, kind of the way our educational system works, we don't get a lot of six, seven-year-olds that we can really treat. It, it, it's long story and I won't go into it in great detail, but the point is in our residencies, not a lot of orthodontic residencies, which are two to three years after dental school, do you get to do a lot of treating six-year-olds or seven-year-olds unless there's like a really bad crossbite in the back or something? So it's not super common. You take someone like Lauren who didn't have a crossbite, had some crowding and one protrusive tooth, and you do much on them in your training program. So you really haven't been very well trained on putting braces on a six-year-old, which is different than putting braces on a 12-year-old. Um, it's still braces. The, the technology and the technique is the same, but the patient management is quite different. And you have to train your clinical team, your front-end team. There's a whole process that goes into it to get the six-year-old comfortable. Um, I'd even say six to eight-year-old comfortable with getting full braces on, uh, sitting for long enough, having enough ways to distract them, telling them, showing them before you do it. Um, so if you would tell me a little bit about what Lauren's experience was like and what your, as, as parents, yours and John's experiences were like uh, having a six-year-old go through getting braces on and having them in braces. Yeah. So, um, you know, just stepping back to like our very first visit with you, you know, walking into the office for the first time, it was, it was beautiful. It was state of the art. Um, the staff was absolutely incredible. 
Um, they had taken Lauren to do some original x-rays and, and pictures. And, you know, when I had talked to her, when we got home, I said, you know, was it okay? Cause she had to go into the room without mom. Mm -hmm. She goes, Oh yeah. They were talking to me and telling me <laughs> funny stories. And she just felt very comfortable. I remember I sat in um, with one of the office managers and she was going through things with me. And I, so that initial visit, we just were both incredibly comfortable yeah. with the staff. And I think, you know, having that relationship is, you know, right off the bat was key for both of us mm -hmm. um, as well. And so, you know, she, um, she had the braces put on, you know, we were, she was a little nervous about mm -hmm. it, but she yeah. had the braces put on. I know you guys had headsets for her and TVs for her. <laughs> she was totally distracted. She mm -hmm. had absolutely no idea what was going on, um, which was great. And she sat still for the whole entire, you know, process. Mm -hmm. She did awesome. And yeah, she did. Um, and it was just, it was, it was easy though, you know, getting them put on was easy. She obviously, I think it was the first week she was a little uncomfortable um, with the braces on. And I, that was to be expected. Mm -hmm. I know your team um, had a handout for us that I reviewed when I got home and it specifically said they may be uncomfortable. Here's what you can do. Mm -hmm. And here's how long that discomfort may last. Mm -hmm. So that was all normal. That was all, you know, definitely expected. Um, she, she, you know, she got past the discomfort. She um, thought the braces were literally the coolest thing in the entire world, <laughs> especially after she got into school and she showed her classmates who are all six years old mm -hmm. that she now has braces she was like an instant hit That's she was amazing. like the coolest the coolest kid on the block right. unlike when i had braces and you know you're in middle school and you're conscious of subconscious of everything and you're just you know image is everything she was six yep. they thought she was the coolest thing in the whole world mm -hmm. um so that was that was definitely fun for her um she had no you know no problems we had no problems um when she had to go in and get i thought she had to go in and get wires tightened mm -hmm. I was pleasantly surprised that we did not have to have those wires tightened mm -hmm. um, and go through all that. You know, she did have to have wires swapped out and, you know, we would come home and I'd be like, how are you feeling? Are you doing okay after the wires? Yeah, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. I, I'm totally fine. And mm -hmm. She never minded going to this, going to the appointment. She said all of the girls were so nice. Dr. Mike was so nice. It was just, it was like family for her. It, she was super comfortable. We, I never had to drag her there going, oh, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. It was, she was comfortable. She was comfortable with the braces. She was comfortable with you. She was comfortable with the team. It was just, it was very, very smooth process for us. I, I appreciate that so much. And um, that's our goal. It was always my vision for the practice to make the patients feel that comfortable. And that's why when I started doing this younger and younger, it was super important to me that I put the systems in place and train my team in a certain way so that we could make a, a six-year-old 
feel that comfortable uh, and, and, and that patient's parents, because that's such a big part of it. And uh, I, one, I can promise if she had an upper and lower expander, she probably wouldn't have gone into school showing it off as much. No, You know, the speech would be affected and you take these kids with these narrow mouths and you've got this metal in there and they can't talk and their tongue is getting ulcerated. And I did it that way. I did it that way for probably six years or so before I started doing it around 2011 was when I started doing it with full braces instead of with expanders. And I mean, I just saw this, this transformation in how it affected my practice, my patients, my team, morale, parents. I mean, the, the tears were gone. The, it was, it was not uncommon to have a parent and or patients in tears in the back screaming people, you know, trying to crank the key and gagging and, you know, you'd put them in on a patient, you'd sit them up and they're like, you know, trying to, to, to breathe and talk. And, Again, it was better than pulling teeth and, and for sure. And I, you never catch me saying expanders don't work or there's not a place for them. It certainly was better and more proactive to address these issues and widen and grow than it was to extract teeth in a case like Lauren or similar and then close that space up and bring everything together and close it down. And so it certainly is a, a far superior approach to that. But once I found braces and wires that if you got them young, again, the key is they have to be younger. You can't, this wouldn't have worked at 11, 12 to do it this way. But when you get them young and they're so pliable and they're so adaptable, mm -hmm. if you can teach them and we can with the systems we put in place that this really isn't a big deal and it's super easy. And like you said, put the headsets on, watch the movie, mm -hmm. nothing should hurt, raise that hand if anything doesn't feel right. Once you get them comfortable with you as a team and Lauren isn't, was, and I'm not just saying that an absolutely outstanding patient. I mean, she, she behaved more like patients, you know, few years senior to her, just in her overall temperament. She was just so, you know, always of course nervous in the beginning, but just such, such a, a great patient, so mature in the way she approached the whole thing. Um, and that's not always the case. Some kids are really, really high anxiety on this. And we prided ourselves on even being able to get those kids to really come around and, and trust us. And like you said, <clears throat> they come in for that first adjustment. They're, they're fearful again, right? They, they're now used to the braces. They've got it and they're worried. And then I'm like, wait a minute. Like they didn't like cranking it, tighten it. Like it just swap the wire out and go and maybe a day or two, their teeth feel a little different and then that's it. Um, and, and that's, that's, that's what we, what we, what we shoot for. So it makes me super proud and, and happy to hear that. And, and that's why I put so much time and energy into the teaching of this, not just again, throw braces on because you could lose a patient. You take a six, seven year old, you don't give them the experience you're talking about. You sit them in the chair, you go to, pop braces on their teeth quickly, aggressively, you're going to lose a lot of them. Um, you know, Lauren, probably she's such a good patient, such a good kid. She maybe could have withstood it. It would have left some emotional scars on, on her there a little bit about wanting to come back, <clears throat> but I think she could have tolerated it. But a lot of kids who don't have that level of maturity, I mean, you'll, they'll just, they'll, they'll be out of the chair. I mean, literally you'll, you'll lose these kids. They'll, they'll, they'll jump up and can get out of there. Um, so it's uh, it is so important to, uh, to, to have that, that side of, and I'm really pleased to hear Lauren had that experience. So as she's going through this, and then in a moment, we'll, we'll, we'll bring John in um, to get his take on this part as well. So if you would kind of set the stage for, obviously you start to see the teeth straightening uh, quickly because that part happens pretty fast. And then what else did you see as far as airway, breathing, to kind of take, take us through that? Yeah. So we did notice her teeth um, straightening up very fast, very, very fast, much faster than we had anticipated, which, you know, was fabulous. Um, and I know you had mentioned at one of our appointments, you had said to us, you know, 
any kind of, you know, airway change, you may start to see at about four, I think you had told us originally about four to six months. Yep, exactly. Um, we got to, I would say it was more like three to four months. Mm-hmm. We were on the, the early side of what you had said. It was three to four months. And there was, it was, oh, wait a minute. She's not snoring right now as she fell asleep you know she picked up maybe an you know an hour later you know and then maybe like a week later we would be like oh you know wait a minute you know she's not snoring as you know and it wasn't an instant like oh she's got no problems anymore Mm -hmm. um it was it was very it was gradual it was a very gradual process um, it didn't take too, too long. And it was just, you know, week by week, we were like, I think she's getting, I think this is better. And, you know, we were you know, crossing our fingers and, you know, this is, this is definitely getting better. And then I think just, you know, we hadn't paid attention. I hadn't paid attention to it for a while. It had been, you know, a couple of weeks, maybe a whole month had gone by by then. And I go, wait a minute. <laughs> she's not snoring tonight. And I don't don't think she was snoring last night either. And eventually the snoring was gone. The obstructive sleep apnea, it was gone. Um, And she, for the first time in a very long time, she was actually sleeping with her mouth closed. Hmm. And, you know, I'm next to her while she's sleeping with her mouth closed going, is she breathing? Like her <laughs> mouth, it was so That's unusual great. for me to see her with her mouth closed. Yeah, you know, I got my finger like under her nose. I'm looking at her chest, rising. <laughs> I'm, I'm going, is this kid still breathing? I'm, you know, I'm what like, do these braces so do? Wait a minute. <laughs> we didn't want to, you know, at first we weren't like, we were just like, what's going on right now? And we didn't want to celebrate and we didn't want to, you know, say, oh my God, this actually, this worked. And this is, you know, um, but yeah, as time went on, it was resolved it this the 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 sleep apnea the mouth breathing the snoring it was all resolved and we you know we stopped giving her the singular and we have not put her back on it since it's just awesome it's just awesome and it was awesome i can't tell you how much i appreciate you sharing that um with colleagues and and parents, anybody who who listens, who uh, maybe has a child in a similar set of circumstances. Um, and I always tell colleagues when I teach or lecture or teach residents, you know, I, I don't ever go out there. I never, and I, you can correct me if I said this to you. I don't say braces or expansion stops, cures all sleep issues, right? Yep. Cures pediatric sleep. I, I, that's nothing. I, I don't promote it as that. You would never see anything yep. in my office in any literature that says, you know, do braces to stop snoring or stop to breathe better, right? That, that is, that is not it. What it is, is if you take the time to diagnose the problem and you get a good history from the parent, you look through your records, cone beam, 3d imaging definitely helps. Um, and you put the pieces together and then you realize that the tongue didn't have room as we explained before. And now that you make things wider and not like nearly narrow and narrow and tiny, that tongue can fill out that area 
and they can close down and the tongue can come forward and rise up against the palate where it's supposed to rest, freeing up the airway at the back of the throat. It, it's not really rocket science as to why it works, but for some reason, we struggle in my profession to make that connection. And I think sometimes, sadly, people do go the other way. You're always going to have kind of extremists and anything that are kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, throw braces or expanders in every six or seven year old that comes in. And absolutely not. And I mean, I've had numerous patients that that I put on observation um, and didn't do anything young with because they didn't need it. So, um, you know, that's that's things an important point. And, and the story you tell is one I heard here and heard so often. And it, it's, it's why I also say I've been blessed to have created a lot of really nice smiles throughout my career, but nothing hits home as much as a story like that, where you really change the quality of life of, of a young growing kid and change the family's quality of life. Because Lauren, you had said all of a sudden was acting more like a well-rested kid. Right. And do you want to just mention like in school and her behavior improved in ways that you maybe didn't even realize where there were some other issues there until you're like, wait, now she's sleeping. So she was behaving differently, right? Yeah, no, I mean, you know, after we did notice, you know, after a whole night's sleep for, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks that she was just, a you know, a different kid. Mm -hmm. She was well rested and you mm -hmm. could tell that she was well rested. And in the morning, she just, you know, had this big personality and I'm awake and I'm ready for school. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, whoa, where is this child coming from now? She was just, she was well rested. Her personality, you know, came out and happy kid. And yeah, it was, it was, it was definitely a, a huge improvement that I think we didn't even know mm -hmm. um, that we needed or that she needed, you right. know, until we saw it. And then we're, we looked back at, Oh, you know, she used to be groggy in the morning. She used to be slow in the morning, you know, mm -hmm. to get ready. Um, and now she was just like, okay, I'm ready. Let's go. And it was, it was definitely a change that, you know, we couldn't see until we, you know, looked back and compared how are we now versus how were we when, you know, she wasn't, you know, being, she wasn't able to breathe at night. Well, that's, that's awesome. And that's what it's about. That's why I'm so passionate about it. That's why I'm devoting the rest of my career to teaching this and, and getting that message out there. And again, as I've said many times, that's why I so appreciate you being willing to to share this. Um, I think at this point, if if we could, I know John, unfortunately, is struggling a little bit of a head cold, but he's he's <laughs> willing to, to pop in with us to just go over uh, uh, some of what he saw. So if you wouldn't mind, maybe before he steps in, just give a little bit of John's background uh, professionally and, and what were some of the things he was doing uh, that he noticed as well. Okay. Um, so John is a CRNA, which is a certified registered nurse anesthetist. Um, he basically provides anesthesia um, for work. Um, he uh, manages airways on a daily basis. Uh, so when I did notice at first, when I did notice that Lauren's, um, you know, she was, she was snoring. Um, I did ask him one night, I said, listen, can you come in and just listen to her? And so he came in the room after she had slept and noticed that, you know, he goes, well, yeah, she's snoring, but she's also obstructing. Mm -hmm. And, and I didn't realize that was happening until he came in and was like, she's actually obstructing. Mm -hmm. And I said, Oh, I don't know what that means. And he goes, there's small periods of time where she's not breathing. Mm -hmm. and I'm like, oh my God. 
So what he would do is, um, and he can talk a little bit more about it as well, but he would come in every night after she went to sleep and he would adjust her pillow and he would try to get her neck um, to a point where, you know, she was getting more air mm-hmm. yep. Um, yep. into her airway. So, and he can, you know, probably talk a little bit more about that side of things. Great. Yeah, I'd love to have him. If you want to let him know, we can have him uh, have him pop in if, if he's okay with that and tell us a little bit about that. Yep. Hey, John. Hi, <laughs> how's it going? How are you? Oh, great. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. You're not feeling feeling so good. That's, that's, that's right. not fun. Um, but uh, well, thank you so much for taking the time to just pop in. So Trish and I have just been kind of going over the the progression um, that Lauren went through. We, we spent some time talking about mm-hmm. the consultation and how that was, you know, almost off putting in a sense where it was like, wait, what yep. race is this young and, and how we I started talking about airway and with your background. Uh, as a CRNA, you just have a tremendous background in airway. Uh, so Trish had mentioned to me, you were seeing some things, you were recognizing some things prior to Lauren coming to me and us, us helping the, the, the mouth grow. Uh, would you just take a moment to kind of talk about what you were seeing and then how you saw that change as she was progressing through her orthodontic treatment? Yeah. So um, when we were as Trish had mentioned, she had said that she was had uh, seen some her Lauren snoring, and she had me come in uh, to go take a look at Lauren, and I recognized that she was totally uh, was obstructing quite quite frequently through um, throughout a short period of time. Mm-hmm. So to adjust her pillow, sometimes I would do a little jaw thrust, a little mm-hmm. um, you know adjustment of her jaw to kind of allow her to open her airway a little bit, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that would help, but as she would change the position throughout the night, she would also then begin to obstruct again. Mm-hmm. So it was quite a few, quite a period of time where we were basically going in throughout the night and basically repositioning her and changing her position just so that way she wouldn't be obstructing uh, as much mm-hmm. throughout throughout the evening. And um, as Trisha had said earlier as well, that um, with the singular, it, it helped a little tiny bit, but mm-hmm. it didn't fix the obstructing pattern mm-hmm. it didn't fix uh the snoring it made it better but it didn't relieve any of those those things mm-hmm. um and you know as we saw the pictures um of her at the beginning of um treatment you could see that she has this narrow palate mm-hmm. this one protruding uh front tooth mm-hmm. and when you read about obstructive sleep apnea, people with high arched palates and have much higher incidence of obstructive sleep apnea. Yep. And um, you talk about, Trish came, came home after um, meeting with you and having a consultation, and she had said that you were talking about expanding her palate. And as you expand the uh, area of the palate, you decrease the risk of obstructive sleep apnea mm-hmm. and other, you know, just... Uh, sleep uh, disturbance breathing. Mm-hmm. Um, so those things sounded great to me. And she was a little concerned about doing it so young. Mm-hmm. And every time we would sit down at dinner and have this conversation, should we do it? Should we not? And I'm like, well, you know, the thing is, you think about children, I'm like, you think about children, and they're so much more pliable, so much mm-hmm. more malleable at a young age, exactly. that when you expand their palate at a young age, it doesn't cost anywhere near the amount of discomfort mm-hmm. as it right. does when you get older. All those bones become calcified. The palate, all the suture lines start to get 
um, calcified or ossified. Yep. And then you have to put in those bars and, and expand it with so much more force. Still correct. Whereas yep. that little wire, just when you have a very pliable, malleable um, pallet, becomes so much easier and so, so much less painful. And you could look, literally just looking inside of her mouth, you can see the difference where she had this huge, large, high arch palate, mm -hmm. and now it's much flatter. And you can see the difference in her breathing and just her activity and just her the brightness in her eyes mm -hmm. from a day-to-day -day basis. It's so, so great you it was, mentioned It the was eyes. quite a dramatic change. Um, so. it, it's so great you mentioned the eyes in that too because uh, the before and afters, which I'm, I'll, I'll put up kind of over us as we're doing some of the talking, um, for the ones who are viewing, seeing, and if you're listening mm -hmm. on a listening platform, you can just hop on YouTube or locals and you can see the, the video version. But um, her eyes before and after, and that was one of the things that helped me start asking Trish questions at that first visit about Lauren's breathing. Uh, she had really tired eyes. And I say to parents all the time, like we can have tired eyes as we're raising the kids, but the kids yeah. <laughs> are not supposed to have tired eyes. So Correct. unless they were, you know, which is why I asked Trish, is she something acute going on? Is she got a cold, sick, you know, obviously mm -hmm. those things play it, play into it. But if she's otherwise healthy, there's no reason for a six-year-old child to look that tired. Um, the before and yeah. afters, you could see again, that mouth was narrow and the lips are pursed and the the, the lower third of the face is kind of sunken in uh, after. Mm -hmm. It's just so beautifully, naturally full. And that's one thing I noticed in in doing it with braces and wires young. And your explanation for that, by the way, uh, is better than mine oftentimes. <laughs> so thank you for the way you, you laid that out. Um, but that's exactly it by doing it young when they're mm -hmm. so pliable, it's so comfortable. It's so minimally mm -hmm. invasive the the suture is not fused, as you said. So you don't have to put mm -hmm. all these pounds of force to blow it apart. And correct. everything yeah. you just described is exactly a hundred percent correct. And the impact that then has on the airway by making more room for the tongue. And then the tongue can sit mm -hmm. up in the palate and the tongue plays a big role in helping shape the palatal growth. So now if it's correct. sitting where it should, it'll keep that going. And the above the palate is the floor of the nose. So, uh, and mm -hmm. in, in in Lauren's pre and post images in her 3D, I slice it. And in some of those slices, which I'll put up, uh, you can just see the width of the floor of the nose increasing. The the, the shape of the palate you described yeah. exactly that shape. Uh, mm -hmm. When you take a coronal slice and you look at, you kind of remove the front of the face there and look at that shape, you know, before that height of that palate was this narrow arc and it's this beautiful sort yeah. of broad arc. And all of the yeah. things you described um, mm -hmm. are exactly why why we do it. And then what would you say as sort of, what did you see in her sleep, which I don't want to minimize, by the way, we always talk about how important this is for the patient and it is, but for the parents, I mean, stop and think you're, we all know, and we have little ones that are just, you know, in their first months of life getting up throughout mm -hmm. the night and how that, how that is. I mean, you, you're minimizing it and, and as, cause being great parents, but that's a tremendous commitment to, to be up yeah. throughout the night after your guys are working hard mm -hmm. to have to watch her sleep. So from a quality of life standpoint for all of you, if you wouldn't mind talking about how it changed, you know, a few months into treatment or started to change a few months into treatment. Well, you know, just in the fact that after, you know, a, a short period of time, we saw a dramatic change in her, uh, ability to be able to breathe and to exchange uh, exchange air, mm -hmm. so that makes you feel much more comfortable. It gives mm -hmm. you you know the comfort of knowing that you don't have to sit there with her and hold her jaw all night long. Um, 
and <laughs> make sure that she's breathing. Mm -hmm. um, and, and from a long-term perspective, you think about the, the, the long-term effects of obstructive sleep apnea, um, the cardiac effects. People mm -hmm. don't think about all of those things. You, yep. you know, you start getting right-sided heart failure mm -hmm. and then, you know, there's, there's a ton of other physiologic changes that occur. And it's, uh, for me, I, I, it was a, a huge, huge thing for, uh, as soon as we start, started to see the changes, it was phenomenal. That's, so, that's great. And they've, as you said, so go ahead, sorry. It was just, it was, it was great relief and weight off of our shoulders, mm -hmm. seeing that she was having a much, uh, much easier, um, time breathing, you know, mm -hmm. much less work of breathing. And that basically just led into her having more energy, um, throughout the day and just, starting to be a kid again mm -hmm. because it seemed like she was just get just exhausted all the time that's uh and that's it's it's uh, i love that saying it's getting to be a kid again because they another thing i say often you know at six they they shouldn't have to worry about breathing you know and and as providers mm -hmm. whether we're in the dental side the medical side we really need to be aware of this and I so appreciate you sharing that because unfortunately in my profession, um, you can look at literature going back to a guy named Bogue who wrote a textbook on, on treating young kids in the early 1900s and whether you should be treating mm -hmm. them young or waiting. And so we've argued about this for over a century in our, my profession, but we still don't, even though there, there are lots of data out there and literature to support the expansion as you very well laid out, expansion helping open the airway. For some reason, there's this sort of disconnect in my profession between us being able to do something about it proactively or like, well, if we go in and expand them, they may get some airway change. So I, I'm working so hard to change, to shift that paradigm, to get orthodontists to think about this differently and say, wait a minute, you've got a six-year-old child that if you let them keep going on this path, not only is it harder to reverse that, but think of the neurocognitive effects, think of the cardiac mm -hmm. effects, the overall physiologic effects, the psychological impact mm -hmm. and so on and so forth that this makes on them. And we're just going to chalk it up to they're too young at six. Like, why? <laughs> I mean, yeah. like, so, you know, it's, I guess the last thing I'd say is what would you say to other parents out there or to other and, and, and to other uh, orthodontists out there um, about whether it's too young to go in and try to help these patients grow at six years old? Uh, at six years old, I think it's the, the, the perfect time to, to, to start that. Mm -hmm. uh, especially if you start seeing a child that has, you know, uh, a decreased energy, or as you said, those, <clears throat> those tired eyes, mm -hmm. that is the time, if not earlier mm -hmm. to, yeah, to, no, you're to correct. recognize mm -hmm. those signs um, and begin treatment because mm -hmm. all of those small little changes at, at a young, early age um, add up to dramatic changes as you get older and older. Mm -hmm. Um and the, the treatment process mm -hmm. is much easier and less invasive mm -hmm. um, than as, as, as you get older, just because you talk about the calcification of all the suture lines and just the palate is so much more rigid mm -hmm. afterwards. Yep. You look at the, as you were talking about literature, the literature of um, surgical procedures for obstructive sleep apnea in adults. You are, you know, you're doing the fort fractures and, and mm. you know, facial um, manipulation. You're changing the whole structure of the the mandible and the maxilla to basically open up the whole 
uh, upper airways, it's it's incredible the amount of work that has to be done afterwards. Whereas if you do a little bit of preventative uh, maintenance or preventative uh, procedures in the beginning, you don't have to worry about any of those things. It's so well said. And then you're also trying to undo the muscle memory, uh, relearn the mm-hmm. swallowing and, and, yeah. and, and, and posturing and jaw posturing and, and then how you, you know, naturally, as you were trying to astutely do with Lauren, get the neck in a better position. Well, as we age, we naturally, you know, we get to be in our teens and adulthood, we'll probably be sleeping like that naturally. So now there's, there can be neck issues and so on and so forth. So it's this cascade of events that if we can see it young, and as I said, when I was talking to Trish about this, it's not for, it's not like every six-year-old needs this. And that's the thing I think that is sadly kind of, I think there's a couple out there who just try to push this on all people. And and that really paints a broad brush in a way it just shouldn't over anyone trying to do this. But the point is, is diagnose it, see if you see a problem. Uh, We we wouldn't have to be having this conversation right now. If when Trish brought her in for Lauren in for that first visit, it was just the tooth. There were no airway issues. She was fine. We would have talked about lining those front teeth up. So she didn't have a traumatic situation with that tooth and didn't have, wasn't Mm self-conscious about it. And and that's the end of it. Um, If she wasn't narrow and had breathing issues and so on and so forth. So it's about diagnosing the patient. It's about understanding airway and its implications and growth and development, and then knowing what you can do young with minimally invasive techniques and technologies to give the patient and the parents a good experience um, that's stable. Uh, and when Trish comes back on, I'm going to have to talk a little bit about that side and retention too, and and, and where Lauren's at now with it. But um, you know, the stability of it and the ease of it, and it really is something that I take a lot of pride in being able to do that. So I can't tell you how much I appreciate you sharing that and, and what you saw uh, on your side, especially with your knowledge in the arena of airway. Um, and I was saying to Trish and I'll post it up, but her total volume increased by 50% on her 3d volumetric analysis. And it's a static image. It's, it, it's not dynamic, but you're, you know, you can see the shape of her airway. You can see pre and post. You look at that 3d volume of volume, total volume from up towards the nasopharyngeal area down towards the oropharynx increased by 50% and her cross-sectional uh, volume or her cross-sectional minimum cross-sectional area increased by 36%. So, you yeah, know, that's I, huge. I mean, you're taking a garden. I always tell people it's like a garden hose, right? If you, if you're push stepping on it and that air is not, water's not getting through and you let off 36% change, think of that how is... much more water's going to get through. Exactly. Um, and you've the volume. volume of that hose by 50%. It's just, it's mm-hmm. tremendous. And and that's yep. why she started breathing better. And then she cannot have mm-hmm. to be on singular her whole life. And then after yep. that, she's on another medication because as you said, mm-hmm. it has cardiac implications and it's just this cascade uh, yep. that I'm just so passionate about. And I, I, again, I just mm-hmm. can't tell you how much I appreciate you explaining it, yep. not only as a parent, but with your knowledge as a CRNA uh, to be able to educate and provide that it, it, uh, input is just so valuable. Yeah. That no, was great. We greatly appreciate everything that you've done for her. Thank you. Thank you. Well, was my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much for taking, taking the time to do it. So, and especially not, Anytime. not feeling great. I really appreciate it. So thank you. <laughs> that's that's um, right. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. If you want, I can have Trish hop back on. We'll just finish up and uh, go great. From there. awesome. Thanks so much, John. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks Mike. I can't use all those fancy words that he uses. I'm just a mom opinion. No, you know what though? And this is something that is, so, I find all the time moms have instincts. Dads don't have. 
had a lot of patients and parents in a consultation room. And I've, I've met with a lot of patients and parents over the years. Moms pick up on things and, and they just sense things in their kids that as dads, we don't. I mean, it's no, not indicting the dads in this. It's just we just don't pick up on certain things. The moms just have this instinct that we don't have in certain ways when it comes to things like this. So the input of you as the mom with your maternal instincts and sensing things with your child and then have John's uh, input as the expert who understands the biology and physiology of that uh, is just, it, it just speaks volumes to why you both were so aware of this, why you both were willing to have Lauren go through this and why you both can speak so comprehensively and in such an educated way about it because you both were very much in tune to it. So no, it's, it's, it's a really nice compliment. And I give you guys a lot of credit for making the decision to do that for her and not just chalking it up to maybe she'll outgrow it or is it worth it? Because, um, and that's really where I hope to motivate not just my colleagues to take patients down this path when they need it, but also motivate the public to push, to ask their providers questions. And if a mom has those instincts or a dad has a background in this to say, wait, 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 doc, like she shouldn't be snoring. She's six, like you said, or she shouldn't be like super groggy in the morning and tired to go to first grade. Like this isn't, this isn't okay. You know, it, it's not right. And, and push your providers, put, you know, the, the, push the doctors to do more about this um, because I think some of them, to be honest, need, need that prompting a little bit. It's fine coming from me as a colleague, but I think coming from the public um, we need to set that, that bar a little higher for, for our profession and what we do. So just to finish up on that a um, couple quick, more quick questions, just to kind of touch on one um, there was a really nice aesthetic benefit and, and self-confidence benefit that you saw in Lauren, uh, which again, I, it's not like every six-year-old needs perfectly straight teeth. I'm not saying that, but when they do have teeth that are not there and they, we give them that beautiful braces smile at a young age, even with some baby teeth in there, I'll let you explain uh, how, how that helped her and how she felt about that. Oh yeah, no, it definitely, she has an absolutely beautiful smile right now. And she knows that she has a beautiful smile. <laughs> <Love it. laughs> um, yeah, no, that definitely improved her confidence. Um, you know, she can see the difference between what, you know, her smile looks like and what her peers smile mm -hmm. looks like. She knows there's a difference. Mm -hmm. She smiles more. You can mm -hmm. see in the pictures, she's just, you know, huge smile, perfectly straight teeth. Um, you know, a nice wide smile. Mm -hmm. I think in some of the pictures that you had given us, some of those before and after pictures, mm -hmm. it did change her face a little bit Yes, as well. Um, and started now to grow more naturally. Looked, yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. And now when, you know, she, we show her pictures of what she looked like before her braces. And she was like, oh, mom, she's like, that's just terrible because I didn't realize it was that bad. Um, and really, you know, too, just knowing that that one tooth that was protruding out was not going to get knocked out with a ball. It wasn't going to get hit by a friend and, you know, losing the tooth too. And then, you know, just obviously the, the airway is just a, a whole different ball game with that. Um, but yeah, she knows she's got a beautiful smile though. And, and I love that. That's the giving, giving a young kid confidence. I, again, mm -hmm. I don't mean to be making this an indictment of, of my profession, but I, I like to call balls and strikes and call the, the, the pros and the cons. And we do a lot of amazing mm -hmm. things. Orthodontists are amazing people and, and, and really do wonders for their patients. 
I'll also call where things need to be improved and point that out. And we have this mentality and it's, it's unfortunate, like our national association, and we seem to be drifting further away from interceptive treatment and young treatment. It's in my mind, the opposite of what should be happening. We're getting so focused on adult treatment and, and not that we shouldn't also do that. Um, but we're, we're losing sight of the fact that we can do so much as John so eloquently stated with these kids when they're young and pliable and, and, and with less force and, and less discomfort, um, it, it, it sad. It's a, kind of a point of sadness and frustration for me because I I'm so passionate about it and I know what's possible. Um, so to hear you say how much she not only has a beautiful smile but knows it, it's nothing. But I mean, why would we want to deprive? So even if let's say she had no airway problems and she just had some crooked teeth, you know, so many orthodontists out there would see a kid at six seven and say you're too young for braces. Well, if they're self conscious of it, like just educate the parent. They might need a second phase down the road. I'm not saying we can fix it for, you know, permanently here, but let's go in for a little bit, give them a better smile. And there's nothing wrong with that. And that's okay too. And so uh, even though that wasn't the the main point of what we got, got doing with Lauren, it has that benefit. And I saw that time and time again, and I would have so many parents say to me exactly what you said, like it just, their confidence just changed after this. They, they, things I didn't even realize they were self-conscious of, or they then told me so-and-so was teasing me about this, you know, and they never had told me that before. And now, you know, everybody tells me what great teeth I have. Well, this is like a seven, eight year old kid saying this, they, kids are tough. <laughs> kids are tough. Um, and, and unfairly so. And, and so anything we can do to help that. Um, so you take a child like Lauren and she's having sleep issues, breathing issues, um, leading to, um, changing her behavior and her personality, and then would start to be more conscious of her smile, not being what she liked. And you take that child and in a little over a year, and we had COVID in the middle. So it lengthened things a little bit with the, the shutdowns, but in a little over a year, you take this child with what, six or so visits in between and, and braces on say six or so visits and braces off. Uh, and you turn them into a different human and you change their quality of life and their parents' quality of life. Uh, it's super powerful. So if we hadn't gotten Lauren braces put on uh, until she was 12, yeah, you know, I would assume that would be the average age of the mm -hmm. braces. If we hadn't done that, um, instead of getting them put on when she was six, that's a total of six years mm -hmm. that Lauren would have gone untreated with sleep apnea. That's mm -hmm. six years. That's a long time. And not only, and yes, that not only is that a long time, it's also all of the neurocognitive deficits that could develop in that time, the academic challenges they can face, anything that comes along with being sleep deprived and having sleep disordered breathing, you saw those happening in her at that young age. Well, obviously the stress is the intensity academically and socially only grow. So she would be having more of those challenges. And the way we grow, if she's mouth breathing and snoring, it's going to continue to constrict the growth of the width of the arch. So we're kind of the percentage of narrow that her arch was at six would be a much higher percentage now. And the narrowness of her airway would be even greater now because she would have grown in a less than desirable way because of the fact that she was mouth breathing and snoring, which squeezes everything in. So she would have even more dental crowding. She'd have narrow arches. She'd have a higher palate. She'd have more deficient airways. She'd have more uh, of a extreme case of sleep disordered breathing and apnea. Uh, and then now you go in at 12 and try to reverse all that. And that's when oftentimes you have to extract a lot of teeth and be very aggressive on sort of the orthodontic process and you end up in treatment for a long time. So that that's an outstanding, outstanding point.
the last part I'll I want to go into with Lauren until we, and then I just want to you give a little feedback if you wouldn't mind on how it contrasts with your particular uh, orthodontic experiences. Um, tell me a little bit about the retention, um, the type of retainers we used, and uh, kind of how long and that she's how she's doing with them and how stable things have been and how the teeth have been coming in since then. In particular, one upper right canine, which was certainly destined to be impacted and the genes were there impacted, excuse me, and the genes are there for that teeth to be impacted and uh, where things are at now as, as she's a few years out of treatment. Yeah, two, yeah over so two um, as soon as she got her braces off, which she was not happy about, by the way, um, she was not happy <laughs> to so have cute. her braces <laughs> taken off. No, she was crying that day. She didn't want them taken off. Um, but once she got over the fact that, you know, she had to have them taken off, um, we had top and she had top and bottom, clear top and bottom retainers mm -hmm. that she needed to wear all day and all night. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it was three months. You got it. Yep. Um, and the only thing that we noticed was probably for about the first week, she had a little bit of trouble just talking. Mm -hmm. Um, and after that first week, it was, she just adapted to mm -hmm. having them in all the time. Um, and she could take them out to eat. I know mm -hmm. we had retainer cases everywhere. They were in the car, <laughs> they were in my pocketbook. Um, they were on the table and, you know, she would just very easy. She'd pop them out. She'd put them in her case. She'd eat, she'd throw, you know, throw them back in. Um, at this point she was about, I think eight, I think she was eight at this point. So yep. it's very easy for her to wear the retainers. Um, and she did, she wore them, you know, for yeah, three great. months yep. all day. All, yep. No problems. I mean, there was never a time where she's like, I don't want to do this or they're not comfortable or there was, it was really a non-issue. We didn't mm -hmm. even really talk about it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, she was excited when she got to just go to nights. Mm -hmm. yep. Um, she, you know, and, and people could now see her smile, mm, you know, yeah, we sure. couldn't see yep. it yep. for three months because of the retainers. So she was excited to go to nights just so she could, you know, show off her smile. Oh, mm -hmm. Um, she wears the retainers religiously. Mm -hmm. Um, she understands how important it is to not only keep her teeth straight, but to keep the palate where the palate needs mm -hmm. to be yep. so that we don't have to go through this, you know, process again. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so it was, the retainers were really easy for her. And you said the teeth are starting to come in now and everything's erupting nicely. Yeah. So, you know, between the time that she uh, got the braces off and now she's lost a lot of teeth, a lot mm -hmm. of adult teeth. Um, and I know that as some of the teeth were coming in, the retainers were getting cut a mm -hmm. little bit yep. to make some room. Mm -hmm. Her teeth are still, the, the adult teeth are coming in exactly where they're supposed to be coming in. It's not, the retainers still fit. Mm -hmm. You know, and she is just about to be 11 mm -hmm. next month yeah. and she still wears them. They still fit. There's no problems. And the teeth are coming in exactly where the teeth need to come in. And, you know, you, and it's perfect. Absolutely perfect. That's awesome. And then the second phase will be 
much different, um, whatever, you know, the, the, in terms of the duration and involvement than what you went through as a teen. And then if you just want to kind of finish up by talking a little bit about what you saw Lauren go through, uh, by proactively doing this and, and going in and helping those arches grow and making room for the teeth and how they've all come in and how that experience has been versus what you went through. And I know you've referenced that you, that Lauren looked a lot like you and shape of the face and growth was very similar to you at that age. Uh, and, and what your experience was. Yeah. It, my experience with braces and Lauren's experience with braces is night and day. Um, and I, and I'm thankful and I am grateful that our experiences were night and day. Um, we did have very similar mouths. We just have small mouths. We have very, um, crowded, I think mouths, I, my teeth were, um, my front teeth were also protruding very, very crooked. Mm -hmm. Um, and I ended up having to have four adult teeth pulled before they would put braces on. Um, and that experience at that age, I think I might've had my braces put on when I was maybe 12, somewhere around there, but I had to have four adult teeth pulled before that. And I remember it very clearly mm -hmm. having to go in. I remember the stitches. I remember be hanging over the sink, just bleeding mm -hmm. and, and the pain. I remember the pain and going through all that. I would never, ever have made her go through that. Mm -hmm. We would have walked out of your office if you had said you were going to pull teeth. Mm -hmm. I'd never put her, I would never put her through that. Mm -hmm. um, so that was, I do, I still remember it. And, um, you know, they said my mouth was too crowded and they, you know, they eventually did close up the gaps. Um, but uh, to this day, my smile, even though my teeth are straight, mm -hmm. my smile is not the same. They mm -hmm. never expanded my arch. Mm -hmm. So my smile is still very narrow. I'm mm -hmm. still very self-conscious of my smile. I'll, sm I'll take pictures with my mouth closed, even though mm -hmm. I've had braces and my teeth are straight. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, just the wires. I remember going to the orthodontist and going, oh, are they going to tighten the wires today? Mm -hmm. And, you know, coming home in just my front teeth, just being in pain, even if my tongue touched my front teeth, mm -hmm. eating yep. every single time I had to get, you know, the wires adjusted. Um, and I dreaded going back every appointment. And it was, it was, I think because my teeth were so bad, um, I was in braces for three straight years and it was a lot. It was definitely a lot. And I would never, ever want her to go through what I had to go through with braces. And she didn't, it mm -hmm. was the process like I said, this is night and day. This was the easiest process. It was so easy that a six-year-old had no problems going through it mm -hmm. whatsoever. Mm -hmm. It's her process was, it was gentle. Um, it was a slow process. It wasn't, all right, let's just, you know, tighten wires and be in pain for an entire week. And then, all right, now you're okay. It was just a slow, gentle, almost more of a natural mm -hmm. process, yep. I would say, than what I went through. Yep. Yeah. It's uh, the story you told. I appreciate you sharing that. The reason for that, a couple of reasons, but the main one I'll focus on is 
they were treating the symptom, not the etiology or the cause. So they were treating the cr the crowded teeth. And we often used to tell people, and unfortunately today it still happens, um, where you look at someone and you say, well, they, they have small small jaws, so we have to pull some tooth mass. Well, how about we go in a little younger and grow their jaws so that they don't, <laughs> so that those teeth, because it's not like you had big teeth. It's it's not like Lauren had big yeah. teeth. You know, teeth can look big at six or seven when they come in because their faces are teeny, but there's measurements we have. There's averages and standards for what a tooth width should be. It's not some arbitrary size. So we know if teeth are like really big or not, um, rarely is that ever the case. And if you look at the literature and that it's, it's rare, it really, nothing really out there conclusively supports that the majority or even a significant amount of crowding is due to big teeth. It's almost always due to narrow or insufficient jaw size. And so if you can help them grow and accommodate those teeth young, and then naturally let those teeth grow into a natural position, even if you need a second base to do the final alignment and get the bite perfect, it's such a minimal process. And it's so easy uh, and straightforward and easy for the patient, easy for the parents and happens in a way that is just not what you went through. And um, that's really, again, because there's still a lot of colleagues out there who still look at these cases young and say, you can't help them grow young. It doesn't work. It's not stable. It won't change the need for second phase. You don't, you don't, it doesn't make a difference for later. It, if you just pull teeth, that's really the way you need to treat it. And, and we argue about this stuff as colleagues, but I guess in closing, what would you say to all the skeptical orthodontists out there who hear this or see some of the content I'm putting out there and are still like, I don't think that it's worth doing this the way Mike does it. As a parent, I would want my child to go through nothing else but what exactly she went through. Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't have changed a thing. The whole process was smooth. It was very gentle. She barely realized anything was happening. Um, it just, you know, after talking to my husband about, you know, how it's a lot easier when they're younger to mm -hmm. manipulate everything and then let it solidify, you know, in the right spot, not having to go through having teeth pulled. It was mm -hmm. just, I don't know why anybody wouldn't want to do what mm -hmm. we did. I just, I, there's nothing I would have changed. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just, I can't understand why this isn't standard practice, to be honest with you. And I, I thought it was standard practice until I had, and I was excited that this was, you know, night and day from what I had to go through and the technology has improved, you know, methodology, methodologies have changed. And, you know, when I realized that this wasn't standard practice, I was just, I was floored, to be honest with you, this, and, and I hope practitioners can see that the whole process was just very smooth. It was just very gentle. And, you know, and practitioners need to know this, that this, I wouldn't have had it any other way, no other way. Well, thank you. And it, it's great too, because it's nice because you were skeptical in the beginning of it in, in a good way, in a good way. I mean, six-year-old kid, you're going to the orthodontist and you know, it, you took a lot of time thinking about this. It's not like you just were like, yeah, fine. You know, this is what Mike said. So let's do it. You went through a process and you, you really understood what we were doing and you had some questions and concerns, very valid questions and concerns. And then you watched all of those concerns kind of 
subside as you went through this and you watched Lauren thrive through this and then you saw the airway and then the, the self-confidence and all of these things that happened and then how easy the retention was and how stable it's been. And it's great. And I, I just can't thank you and John enough for sharing this with colleagues, with parents to just say, hey, look, there's there's a different way to do this. And um, we need to keep pushing ourselves as as professionals to to do better for our patients. And um, getting away from treating kids young is not the direction we need to be going. We need to be doing more young, proactively treat the problem. You don't do this for everybody. You do it for the patients when they need it, but it's, it's just so rewarding. And uh, it's great for me. I mean, I love it. I love seeing the changes in kids like Lauren. I just love it. It just it, it fills me up. It, it, it's so, and seeing the changes in you and John, I mean, as I said to him, you guys weren't sleeping well. If she's, if your child's not sleeping well, even if you are asleep, you're worried about them, they're breathing. You've got busy, stressful days at work. We all do. And it's, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a drain on everyone's energy and resources that if, if we can play a role in that, uh, for the patients that need it, it's, it's huge. And so I, I know that, that, with people listening to this podcast and sharing it and, and knowing about it and talking to others about it, it'll start the discussion. And there are kids out there who will get help because their orthodontists will start to look more into this and do this. And there are Laurens out there who are suffering like she was without anyone really knowing why, who will have this, this change in, in their life. And because of you guys sharing your story. So I, I can't thank you enough for that. Um, and uh, yeah, I really, really appreciate it and, and appreciate you taking the time to be so open and honest about all this. Well, thank you very much for having us and letting us tell you the story. If I could shout it from the rooftops, I would. This whole <laughs> process is just so easy and just so smooth. And we really just hope, you know, more practices can, you know, offer this um, methodology to other parents, offer this to other patients. It's just, it's, yeah, it's been fabulous. And we thank you for all of it. Oh, well, it's my pleasure. And, 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 and thanks so much for that. I really, really appreciate it. So it was great catching up with you guys. And uh, again, say hi to Lauren and, and, and thanks so much again for it. I will. Thank you, Mike. All right. Take care. Thank you for watching this episode of the Doc Podcast. Be sure to visit theorthocoach.com to get access to CE courses or schedule a private one-on-one -on -one coaching session with me. And remember to join the Doc community on Locals for more great content designed to help you succeed both personally and professionally. Just go to Locals and search for the Doc community. You can also find Doc on Instagram at at theorthocoach. And remember, you have the power to do amazing things.